The Courage to Lead, episode 149. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Um, before we get started though, do you find it stressful when people say you need to be more resilient without giving you any insight as to how to do that? Would you and your team like to achieve more success with less stress? My guest today is the epitome of resilience. Uh, help me welcome Derek McManus. Derek is a human durability and high performance mental health coach. He is the founder of the Australian Center for Human Durability. In a former life, Derek was a police sniper, recovery diver, and trained by the military SAS in counter-terrorist operations. During one police mission to serve a warrant and arrest a known criminal, Derek was shot 14 times with a high-powered rifle and lay on the ground for three hours before being rescued. Doctors say he defied the odds to survive those massive injuries. Derek, better than anyone else, knows the importance of psychology and dynamics of mental fitness, agility, and strength. Human durability is about going beyond resilience to sustaining optimal performance with less stress, and everyone improves with human durability training. Derek is divorced, single father of four, right? Two biological and two uh, stepchildren. Derek, welcome to the program. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. That's a uh, that's one of the best introductions I've ever had. Um, yeah, really encapsulated my life. Yeah, and, and your story is amazing. I mean, when I first read about it, and I went out and watched some of the videos of, of presentations you're giving and speeches, keynotes you're giving, just just incredible. Um, and one thing I wanted to talk about you you've been an athlete, right, for most of your most of your life. I'm, I'm guessing because when we yeah. talked the other, about a week or so ago, you were telling me you're going to go out and ride um, your bicycle. And now I read you ride 65 miles. Uh, yeah. Then, wow. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. uh, and that's a regular basis. I'll do that ooh, just about every Sunday morning. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. uh, Riding, still... swimming, general workouts at the gym. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I still do around about 150 to 200 push-ups a day. Um, so, you know, and it's not because I want to be fit. It's because I enjoy being fit. It's, it's just, you know, something I do and I enjoy it. So, um, yeah, part of life and it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, hey, I want to talk about all of that, how you got your start, how you got to where you are now and some of the amazing work you're doing with executives, their teams, and even students in, in universities. Um, want to talk about all of that. But before we get started, I've got some questions that I like to ask each one of my guests. Um, listeners will know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these very questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So <laughs> Derek, if you're ready, 10 questions for you, sir. Let's play. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favourite word is sensational. It's my uh, my friends know it. They uh, they say to me every day, you know, every time we catch up, I start, they say, "How are you?" And then they go, "Actually, no, I don't need to ask you," because they know that's what I'm going to say. And, and, it's, and it's not a throwaway. Uh, I'll I'll say I'm sensational. I'll acknowledge there's some uh, some hard times in my life, but to be quite honest, and this is not because I've been shot and now look at life differently. I just have a sensational life. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm 100% with you. Uh, yeah, I love that. Because too often we say, oh, I'm good. Well, uh, okay. What does that mean? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Question number two. What is your least favorite word? Wow. Um, hate. Hate is probably the word I... It's just a strong negative word and dislike, strongly dislike things, absolutely. But but to absolutely hate something, yeah. that's that's a powerful negative word. It's, it's yeah. Very strong. Absolutely. What turns you on? 
do you know, I was actually just having a conversation. I'm, uh, uh, I'm newly into a new relationship. Newly into a new relationship. Mm, interesting wording, Jared. I, I have a new relationship. We've been together for about three months and I was uh, having a conversation with her about the things that we enjoy about each other. And uh, what I really like about her is she's, she's a very feminine lady, but she has this awesome inside power. And it's that inside power that you, it just sort of makes me sit up and go, wow, that's really impressive. And, it's, and I think it, what turns me on is people's personal power. When they are able to identify what they do well, and then just go ahead and do it. And do it. Absolutely. Good job. What uh, what turns you off? Um, people giving up too easy is, is probably the thing that really upsets me. Um, you know, when you know that somebody can do something, but they default to, no, I can't do it, I give up. Yeah. And, and that disappoints me. Yes, Absolutely. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Well, this goes to my cycling. Um, when I'm cycling in a pack or a peloton, um, as soon as we start going uphill, you hear the sound of the gears changing down through the gears, and that I just love that sound. That is, that's the sound of we're about to do some hard work. Nice, um, nice. And, and and I say it many times when I'm writing, love that sound. Love it. Very cool. What Is sound it, or noise do you hate? What noise do I hate? And I just said to you, uh, and I think we spoke at the same time, I'm loving these questions. What <laughs> noise do I hate? I, I don't know that I do hate a noise. I'm not sure that I, what noise don't I like? I'm going to have to come back to that one. Okay. I actually can't think of a noise that I hate or dislike strongly. Or dislike. Strongly dislike. <laughs> All right. We'll come back to that one. No okay. worries. Yeah. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? My favorite curse word is damn. And that is my go-to. It's damn. Um, and, you know, there's no two ways about it. I use the F-bomb. And when I'm deep into policing and when I was in, you know, the special ops area, we used a lot worse curse words than that. Um, but it's become my curse word because um, when my children were young, I wanted them not to use F-bombs or any other curse words that would be inappropriate. And the best way to do that is to lead by behaviour rather than telling them don't, just show them what you want them to do. And, and it's just stayed with me. And, and I'm quite comfortable with it. You don't... And I do still, still you know, use worse words occasionally, um, but we essentially don't need to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good job. All right, question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just, just stretching myself a little bit there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Now, these negative questions are a really interesting one for me because I haven't actually thought it's not something that I think of a lot in life. What would I not like to do? It's always looking at the positives. Where do I want to grow? What, do I, what would I want to avoid? Wow, and I hate to leave a lot of silence on a podcast, but... <laughs> I can edit that out. That's fine. No worries. Um. Do you know, I'm not sure there's a job that I, I wouldn't have a crack at because I do like experience. I'll, I'd, I'd like to be able to say, you know, I've had a crack at that I, and then know it from that person's perspective to be able to discuss it. What job would I not like? Uh, maybe a baggage handler on an aircraft. Um, and, and the reason I say that is I'm not interacting with people. I, I obviously enjoy interacting with people. Um, but baggage handling is just one of those jobs that appears. You just stand at the side of the aircraft, put it on a, a trolley, move it in, put it on a trolley, take it back out. Yeah, yeah off the top of the head. Yep. Boring repetition, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Before we get to the final question, let's go back to number six. What sound or noise do you dislike strongly? Somebody else's pain. Somebody else's pain. Yeah, it, that that it, it makes me just the thought of it makes me cringe. Uh, I know we're all going to have pain and all the rest of it, but uh, and it's and you know it is somebody else's. It's not even my children's pain, which you know again sort of makes me default to that's even worse. But it's just somebody else's pain. I, I just don't like that. Yeah, especially I, when you can't do anything to help, right? Uh, and that was just going to come to to me. Uh, it was. If there's something I can do to help them, I want to fix it. And if I can't help them, yeah, it hurts. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. All right, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Sensational to have you here, Derek. (laughs) Sensational. (laughs) Good job. If he said that, that would just be the absolute epitome for me. (laughs) That'd be perfect. Very good. All right. So, Derek, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got your start, uh, your time on the police force, um, yeah. and how that helped prepare you for the work you're doing now with um, executives, leadership teams, right, and students around the world in um, resilience. All right. So we'll talk about all of that and more. And uh, listeners, stick with us. We'll be back right after this. So stand by. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Derek McManus. Derek, thanks again for getting up early to join us here uh, in Australia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, 20 past six in the morning. Wow. Australia. But this is not an early day for you. You you get up like this all the time, don't you? Uh, absolutely. I've uh, I've got a young lad who uh, is training for um, the Paris. I think it's the Paris Olympics. Is Paralympian. He's uh, vision impaired, uh, and he's training for cycling. So being vision impaired, he needs to be on a tandem, somebody on the front. Uh, and so I quite often get up at five o'clock to uh, wow. go cycling with him. Nice. And and we will do probably 40 to 50 miles uh, in a morning. Very cool. Oh, it's sensational. Yeah. Yeah, and that is awesome. Being able to help him to get to, to his dreams is great. Very nice. Uh, early starts are, are normal, and uh, certainly my uh, background in special ops, that's what we were doing all the time. Wake up at three o'clock, bang, into it. Wow. Well, yeah, special ops, uh, 42 years on the police force. You yeah. had to be ready at a moment's notice, right? Yeah, absolutely. Jump out there. Um, and it was 42 years in policing generally and 11 years in the special ops part uh, of the police. And that was the STAR, right? Special Task and Rescue, which is similar to our SWAT team, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. It's similar to your SWAT team, but it's uh, probably closer aligned to the Navy SEALs. Okay. Yeah, we do wow. counterterrorism. Uh, we do VIP security. We go to places where people just wouldn't expect us so. Uh, and you have the Navy SEALs. We have the military elite uh, SAS, Special mm-hmm. Air Services. Uh, and I was actually trained by the uh, Special Air Services in uh, counterterrorism. So it's very wow. closely to the, the Navy uh, SEALs. It's quite an exciting job. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And I was reading in your, your um, bio, you were talking about um, on a protection squad for the Queen when she came yes. down to South yeah, Australia. Nice. Yeah, we were the, we were the close quarter protection for her. She had her inner security, um, but we were interchanging with them. I was only new in the section when uh, when she came, so I didn't actually get to personally meet her, which is uh, what a lot of our close close quarter guys did. Um, but we were certainly in that detail. Awesome, oh, very cool. Uh, and it's a it's an honour to be able to do those things, to be trusted to that extent. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, talk about doing something, serving a greater purpose. That's yeah. definitely 
greater purpose. So uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the incident that you had when you were working for the police. Um, I, I'm sure your training, your physical fitness, everything like that helped you get through that part, but still three hours before you were rescued. That yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Um, and having been shot 14 times uh, and it was with a high powered rifle, then lying on the ground for three hours with massive, massive injuries, uh, bleeding profusely. Uh, I was watching the blood pool on the ground next to me. I could feel it draining from my body. I felt my body getting weaker and weaker. Um, but you know something? Uh, you know, you've probably picked up already. I'm a slightly positive person. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was about controlling my mind so that I could control my body. And that's one of the most important things for me. Um, if we can control our mind and uh, do everything deliberately, we've got more chance of doing things physically. The first doctor to get to me after the shooting, um, he said that when he got to me, I had no movement. I had, was making no sound. Uh, there was no colour in my body because I just had no blood left in my body to give me pigmentation um, and I wasn't breathing. Mm. And he said when he first looked at me, he thought, this guy's already dead. Should I even bother having a look? Uh, and when he told me that, I've gone, oh, wow, really? It was that bad? Um, and then he said, you took a last gasping breath. And that's what he said to me. You took a last gasping breath and there was a flicker of your eyelid. So I thought I may as well at least take a look. I went, oh, thanks for it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> He's on the Christmas list. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But what he didn't tell me, and, and uh, it's a credit to him, credit to his team, is that when he was making these assessments, he was standing in direct line of fire. Bullets were still being fired and they were whizzing around his ears. So he wasn't just making a decision, should I try and save, save this guy's life? It was, should I risk my life to try and save this guy's life? And when, he, when I took this last gasping breath, uh, he and his team and uh, many of my star group mates uh, stood around for 10 minutes in direct line of fire so that um, he could stabilise me. One of my mates from Starry's, uh, and this talks about the dedication of the team that I was with. Um, he came up to the doctor during that and said, um, and we knew the doctor very well. We've worked with him many times. He just said, Bill, don't worry about the bullets. Don't worry about the shooter. I'm going to stand between you and the bullets. And if the bullets come this way, I've got a flat vest on. I'm going to be all right. And so will you. You just focus on fixing Derek. Wow. Bill, dry sense of humour. Um, he said, Derek, I heard what this guy said, and I've had a really good look at him, looked him up and down, saw that he's got a flak vest on, and then I had a look at your flak vest, which is full of holes. <laughs> he said, but, um, you know, but that's the sort of team that I was working in. That's, that's that trust factor, um, again, that uh, is so important to teams of any kind, whether it's in the office, whether it's, uh, on the production line, whether it's in a high-pressure environment. If, if we've got trust in the people that we work with, right. we can actually do more. Absolutely, yeah. Trust to build that team. And, uh, yeah. But, uh, and trust that people have got your back. And, and, it's, and it doesn't have to be this high-risk environment where your life is actually on the line. Sure. Metaphorically, if you're doing a deal with someone in an administration area and you're making promises to them, if you don't come through, your job could be on the line. And, you know, that's kind of like your life being on the line because that's where you get your money from. So um, everybody has that sense of importance about the job they do. So, yeah, having that team you can trust, absolutely essential. Absolutely. Well, and in talking uh, to teams and helping them kind of build that culture, right, um, a lot of times you talk about, hey, we have to have a common goal or a common enemy. A lot of things that they talk about in the military, we have a common goal, common enemy. You have to have that trust for people to take on their role and function in that role and, and do what they need to do. So, Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that uh, people find really interesting is that uh, most people think in the Navy SEALs, the SAS and police star group, the SWAT teams, um, wow. Those guys put their lives on the line for each other. They must be so tight. Everything they do would be together. And we are. When, when the job is on, the job is on. And I know that the guy standing next to me uh, is 100% committed to looking after me. 
but there are some guys on my team that may not get invited to the weekend barbecue. Right. I don't get along with them that well personally. We have differences. Yeah. These are sections where people have big personalities. Uh, and there were two guys in particular um, in Star Group, and they weren't able to put them on. We had four different teams, so they weren't able to put them on the same team because if they were in the room together and didn't have anything else to do, they would probably tear each other apart. Um, but these are guys with big personalities. Yeah. On the job, though, those guys would have each other's backs and everybody else would go, my gosh, they are tight. Um, so it's about understanding. You can have a different personality, but when you have something to do, you need to be reliable 100%. Exactly. Absolutely. So human durability, did that, that all come out of this experience? Is that where you decided this is what you wanted to focus on and help yeah, other people? Absolutely. And, and it's something that's evolved. And I think it took probably 15 years for it to evolve to this point of human durability. Um, certainly after the shooting, people were very interested for me to come and tell the story of the shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'd have conversations like this at the, at the hotel or the bar and, uh, over over coffee or whatever, and people go, oh, my gosh, that story is amazing. You've got to come and tell my people. And I thought to myself, do you know something? You want the hero story. I'm not the hero of the day. The hero of the day was the doctor, the guy who was the bullet catcher, the guy who the guys who risked their lives to uh, come in and get me. And, and the police force generally forming those courts, they are all the heroes. I was the guy who lay on the ground and waited for them to come and get me. Um so I've got, no, nah, if you want to pay somebody for telling a story, go and pay those guys. Um, but then uh, I used a stack of blood. Obviously, I lost all, most all my blood. Human body has uh, 10 units of blood in it. Mm-hmm. I used 24 units of blood in a seven-hour period. Wow. So I was flushed through a couple of times, which is wow. quite nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the blood service came to me and said, hey, Derek, you used a stack of blood. Would you like to say what thank you for that? <laughs> and uh, for me, it was just a natural, just a absolutely yeah, no problems. I'm there. I'm with you. Um, because it wasn't about me anymore. It was about saying thank you. Uh, and once I started telling the story and telling people what I did and how I did it, but your donation of blood was the thing that got me through, they started saying to me, you have changed my life. And, and at that, I, I almost had arguments with people because I'm going, no, 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 you changed my life. This is about me saying thank you to you. Um, but I started realising there was more to my story than just the hero story. There were messages in there that people were taking and I hadn't seen them before. Uh, and so I started talking about just personal leadership, personal power. Then I started talking about resilience more specifically. Um, and then when I really started looking at what I was doing and, and how I survived the shooting, people were saying to me, wow, you bounced back so well. And I thought to myself, do you know something? For the three hours that I was lying on the ground, I was not bouncing back. There's no way in the world I can get shot once, let alone 14 times, and just go, wow, I'm going to bounce back. Um, So I started realising what I had done was sustain optimal performance. I had, And I'd consciously taken a look at this beforehand and I didn't realise the process I was going through, and it's not until I analysed it afterwards, but I'd taken a look at it beforehand and I said to myself, if I get shot... What can I realistically expect of myself? I can't expect me to sustain a peak performance because I'm now dealing with an injury. doesn't matter whether it's a minor injury or a major injury. I've got an injury. I can't sustain a peak performance. So if I do get shot, what's the best I can expect of myself during that period before I get to a place where I can actually start bouncing back, recover, replenish, re-energize, uh, and re- you know, re-engage? Um, and... And it was that concept of sustainable, optimal performance that has been the, the, the power behind human durability. Wow. And a lot of it, like you said, is, is mindset, preparing yourself, right? Absolutely. Not, not giving in, not giving up. Absolutely. Now, the, you know, there's no two ways about it. I was shot 14 times. Uh, the damage to my body uh, was massive. The, uh, my physical fitness at the time was certainly an element that, managed to sustain that optimal performance. Um, so my fitness was one thing. Uh, my, uh, my strength was another thing. But my mindset, I believe, was the difference between um, yeah, living and dying. The, 
first doctor to get to me, again, going back to Bill, uh, when I retired from the police department, the news took a, an interest in it and ran a news media story, uh, and I've got the footage. I should put it up on YouTube somewhere. Uh, but he actually said at that time that all the textbooks say that I should have been dead. He says the only reason that I'm alive is I probably haven't read those textbooks, <laughs> which I'm quite comfortable sure. with. Absolutely. Um, but, but he said that the injuries I had, the amount of blood that I lost, uh, my heart should have stopped. Um, and he, he medical uh, knowledge cannot explain why my heart didn't stop. But I believe it was because I had my mind in such a place um, that there were four things that I needed to control. And these four things are not just applicable to my situation, but applicable to anybody going through uh, physical trauma or mental trauma. Uh, and the first one was to control panic. Don't let panic take control of the situation. And the easiest way to control panic is have some idea of how you're going to manage that situation before you get into it. Mm -hmm. And this is why I talk about prior to the shooting, I thought about what would be a sustainable, optimal performance in that shooting. So I was able to control panic. I was also able to control shock. Now, shock is the uh, physiological effect on the body when you are under trauma, and it's physical or mental trauma. The body reroutes blood from the brain into the body so that we can go into fight and flight mode. Um, I knew that if I have that blood drain into my body, it's good for me to be able to respond immediately, but I had to get it back to the frontal part, the frontal lobe of the, body, uh, of the brain um, so that I could do the higher level thinking the planning, the problem solving, the creativity, um, and be able to calm everything down. Um, the, the next one was I needed to slow down my heart rate and I needed to slow down my breathing. Those two things work in unison, but I had to have that focus on controlling both of those because if I can slow down my uh, heart rate and I can slow down my breathing, that's going to slow down my rate of bleeding, um, and obviously that's going to make me uh, survive a little bit longer. What I didn't realise at the time, and I probably subconsciously realised it because being a diver, I knew that breathing was very important um, to being able to survive longer underwater if you can breathe slower and use less air, and that's a tactic that you know we learned to do. Um, then that was important for my body. But I, I realise now that slowing down my breathing and reoxygenating my blood and my brain um, is actually a calming factor for the body as well. And everybody now talks about the breathing techniques. Sure. I completely embrace them anytime we start to get into a stressful situation. That's really a go-to. First thing to do, slow down your breathing, take a moment, reoxygenate, because that takes over from the shock factor in the body of fight and flight. When we oxygenate our body, the body goes, oh, okay, so maybe it's not as desperate as I thought. Right. And then we can start getting that creative uh, thought pattern happening again. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, human durability and resilience, how does that play out in a corporate setting? When you're working with these corporate leaders and teams and things like that, what are you trying to teach them? How do you, how do you get them to, to view this? So what I'm trying to teach them is how to be happier, healthier, uh, more productive with less stress. And it really is that happier, healthier first, more productive third, and less stress is the most important. That's the one that everybody goes, oh, tell me more about that. Yeah. No, no, no. Let's talk about happier, healthier as well. Um, I believe everybody in a workplace wants to be productive, right? They want to do their best job. Sure. I don't know too many people who go to work each day and go, I want to be a failure today. Right. <laughs> we just don't do it. We want to do it. Um, but most people, well, most people, that's, a, that's too broad. Some people feel like they don't have the ability, feel like they've failed so many times. We're going to go to work again. My gosh, if I don't do the right thing, I'm going to embarrass myself. And I'd just like to see these people empowered to realise their own strength. They do have the ability. So understanding the process of development of skills is really, really important. I have what I call a continuum of human durability. Um, and it starts when we are brand new at something. When you first start a job, when you first start a new sport, when you first start a new relationship, any of these new things, uh, we are new. We are learning new environment, new interactions, new dynamics. 
Uh, we're experimenting as to what works, what doesn't work, um, but we're looking for some coaching, guidance, mentoring to help us get through this process of learning this new job so that we can get to the point where I can do it independently. I don't have to have somebody coaching me anymore. I can work independently because we feel good about ourselves when we, we, when we get to that point. But when we can work independently, that's a position of resilience. So we go from this fragile new beginner to a resilient uh, in, uh, person who can perform uh, in their own right. Um, but you're also a problem solver at that stage. You know that if something comes up, you can work your way through it. You can go through this problem-solving uh, scenario and go, I know how to fix this. I can bounce back. And that's a very powerful place to be. When you know that you can perform and you can fix all those problems, it's great. But it can be a stressful environment if that's where we live all our life, if we're always waiting to fix a problem, we're always waiting for something to go wrong. And so I like to try and tell people that they can get to a place where they can be 100% reliable. Everything they do is going to go perfectly right. Um, they are predictable and, and comfortable that they can just come to work and go, this is going to be a great day. I love being here. Those are those days that we really live for when we absolutely love getting to work. We're great at what we do. Other people come to us and say, wow, how do you do that? Can you help me to do that? Um, and everybody gets there. So it's, it's that point of being 100% reliable. You're so good at your job. You are the master of the job that you are doing. Um, and I believe everybody can get there. Now, do you stay there? No. Because as soon as we get to this 100% reliable, absolutely great at what we do, there's actually no challenge anymore. Mm. And that's when we want to stretch ourselves and take on the next challenge. And that's good. But if you take on this next challenge, you are no longer 100% reliable because it's a new challenge. There are new things to learn. So you slide back along that uh, continuum back to the mm -hmm. point of being resilient again. Okay. Now, I had a conversation with uh, the Australian Army fighter pilots. These are uh, our equivalent to your top gun. Mm -hmm. And when I explained this, that when you take on an, uh, the next challenge, you slide back a bit. One of the fighter pilots actually said, does this happen to everybody? And I said, yes, this is a natural phenomenon. Everybody goes through it. It's a growth process. And he's just sat back and went, oh, thank goodness for that. I thought it was just me. <laughs> because that's how we judge ourselves. Right. We don't allow ourselves to get to that point of being absolutely great and then being a little bit vulnerable again. And so um, I talk about this 100% reliable being our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And everybody loves to be in their comfort zone but we get told so often we've got to be outside our comfort zone. Growth is outside. You've got to stretch yourself, and that's good. But if you stretch yourself and things are going so wrong that you are living in stress, I say that people have got to know where to come back to. Right. Come back to where you are 100% reliable, re-energize, replenish, uh, and then go out and re-engage uh, because this is the place where there is no stress, Right. And if we stay out there and we're always stretching ourselves, we're anxious, we're nervous, we're worried, we're stressed, and that's where burnout happens. That's where depression happens. That's where people go into worse states. We've got to be comfortable of coming back to our comfort zone. That's badly worded, comfortable of coming back to our comfort zone. Um, but we've, we've got to be comfortable with the fact that we can regress back to just being a place where we can relax. Absolutely. Yeah, being up there is not sustainable. No, no, that's right. You can't sustain that. Yeah. And, and the best place to relax for me is going back home to family. I've had a really stressful day at work. Go home to your family, to your, your relationship, whatever it is, and be able to go, oh, honey, I just need a little bit of a massage. Could you just, yeah, let's sit down and let's have a little drink and let's have a chat and have that meaningful connection with people. Um, and, and we've got to know how to embrace that. We've all got to be able to have a place to go back to. Absolutely. And th these are not just your ideas. I mean, you've done a lot of work and research, right? You work with the University yeah. of South Australia, the School of Psychology, the yeah, military definitely. and the emergency services health group. I mean, yeah. this is fact that, that people can't sustain this. They have to be able to, to relieve that stress by feeling yeah. in their comfort zone. Yeah. I'm very fortunate that I get to work with uh, the University of South Australia, their School of Psychology. Uh, I was speaking at a conference and one of their research doctors was also speaking at the conference. And uh, I went to her afterwards and said, 
what would it take for me to get the university to help me research this? And she was just fascinated with the idea of going beyond resilience because resilience was accepted as being the best place you can be. Um, And she literally stood there and uh, when I said, you know, what would it take the university to help me? She literally sat there and went, hmm, you'd have to come and have coffee with me. And I've gone, oh, my gosh, it was that easy. But it is a concept that people haven't toyed with before. Is there a place where you are 100% reliable? And there is. We just don't live in that space. We live in that stretch space, but we've got to know where it is that we can come back to it. And the easiest analogy for people to understand is if you started playing tennis, and I use tennis as a universal sport, if you start playing tennis and you're in D grade, you get to the best of D grade, and then you get promoted into C grade. When you get into C grade, you're not the best in C grade, you're in the middle, middle of the road. Then you get to the best of C grade, then you go up to B grade. Now, if you get to B grade, and B grade is oh, beyond your limit, you don't practice enough, you don't dedicate enough time to really be there. If you come back to C grade, you sort of go, yeah, piece of cake, I can relax. I, I can do this really easy. And that is your comfort zone. Yeah. And that's the concept that I want everybody to embrace, that there is a place where they are 100% reliable, and sometimes we've just got to go back there and relax. Yeah, absolutely. No, hundred percent. And I think it was on your LinkedIn profile. You talked about um, this progression, right? Change your belief, change your attitude, change your behaviors to create more success. Now, a lot of people talk about belief, right? You have to have, you know, mindset, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Your attitude, you have to change your attitude. Behaviors. That's, I don't think people talk enough about the behaviors and how important that is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, the person who will talk about changing your behaviour is your boss. Your boss, boss won't come to you and talk about your beliefs or your attitudes. Your boss will t- say, you are underperforming, lift your game. But that's all they tell you, lift your game. Um, and, and it's when you combine all three of those, your beliefs and your attitude, and then your behaviours will naturally follow But if somebody believes they're not capable, if they come to work going, I'm not sure about this, uh, I'm worried, if you've got a micromanaging boss Mm -hmm. who will not allow you to experiment and gain experience and make mistakes, then you are going to be so nervous. You're underperforming, always going to be underperforming. These are, and, and, you know, when I talk about people who are underperforming, not stepping up to leadership, people can usually go, oh, yes, I know who that person is. But then we've got to look at the reasons for it and, and the reasons quite often are their beliefs and then their attitudes. If you're working in a corporate environment where everything is toxic, then your attitude is going to be, I don't want to get involved. I'm not excited about going to work. So before your boss comes and talks to you about your behaviour is uh, abhorrent, then they should be starting the conversation with what's happening for you? Where are you sitting at the moment? Uh, what are your beliefs about yourself, your own capabilities? Okay, what's your understanding of the workplace? Okay, now, and Stephen Covey and his seven habits of highly effective people, habit number five, seek first to understand or being understood. So your boss is saying, lift your behaviour, that's in demanding, you need to understand me, I need you to be better. No, the question should start with, where are you at the moment? And when people understand that process, it's really, really powerful. You can make really big changes in behaviors and then create more success for everybody involved. Exactly. Yeah, and on this program, we talk a lot about uh, building that culture, right? And engaging yeah. each other, yeah. not just the employer engaging employee, but the employee engaging, you know, the employer. Yeah. What, what we need to do and, and why and how and what all this means. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to the trust factor. If the employee doesn't trust the employer, then there's going to be a breakdown. If the employer doesn't trust the employee, you're not empowering them to actually make decisions and take action and and become the performer you want. So that trust factor between the two um, is really important. But the trust factor also starts with some vulnerability. And that's understanding that the employees knew they will make mistakes. The employer is trying to achieve something um, I've got to trust that they are going to look after me. And, you know, that trust factor is so important right throughout. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so talking about courage, a lot of times we talk um, with business owners um, 
about where they found the courage to step away from the nine to five job to create their success? Where did they find the courage to overcome the setbacks, divorce, bankruptcies, death, illness, things like that? Um, 42 years in the police. And uh, that's, that's courageous right there. I'll, I'll, I'll start to get used to it by the end. <laughs> <laughs> but now to step out and, and go out and get up on the stage and talk and engage with these people and talk to them yep. about, you know, something they probably never even thought about, right? Durability and resilience. Where did that courage come from? Um, and this is something we, we spoke about prior to going into this, this podcast and in the couple of times that we did talk. Um, that courage, um, and now I've lost my train of thought, where does that courage come from? It, it comes from self-belief. It, and, and this is going back to the belief, the attitude, behaviours, success. It comes from self-belief. And it's not belief that I am infallible. It's the belief that whatever's going to happen, I'm going to be able to work my way through it. That belief is fueled by passion and doing something meaningful, right? So if you're doing something just to prove somebody wrong or something like that, that's not meaningful stuff, right? right? It's got to be something meaningful from in here that you're doing something for the greater good. Um, for me to be able to get up on stage, it wasn't about me wanting to tell the story of look at me, I'm a hero. It was about let me say thank you to the blood donors. Oh, wow, okay, now I've got some messages that people are really taken to. Let me share those messages. Um, and then it was talking about how to empower people. For me, it's always been about some greater good. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not shy about telling the story of the shooting. I quite love telling the story of the shooting to the right people, but it's got to be to the right people. Um, but it's always got a message behind it. And that message is of some way of empowering whoever I'm talking to. So I, I think that courage um, comes from meaningful engagement in what you're doing. Absolutely. And then uh, different types of courage, right? We talked a little bit about that, that, that inner courage you find. There's, uh, of course, physical courage, moral courage, um, empathetic courage. Um, yep. There's intellectual courage, being able to set aside your long-held beliefs and, and uh, knowledge to make room for new knowledge. It's always coming up. Um, is there a type of is there a type of courage you think is important for leaders? One of the, the most important uh, types of courage for me is the courage to have curiosity. Mm. And the curiosity is, tell me more about that. Yeah. And it's asking that question of anybody and everybody um, because we don't know all the right answers. And sometimes we know the right answer. We know the absolute perfect solution but these people are going to do it in a different way. It's going to achieve the same thing. And if I let them do it their way, they will be more passionate about it. So this curiosity is very important for me. Um, but that takes vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That takes being prepared to go, tell me more about that. Oh, wow, I need to change my perspective. I need to learn something new here. Um, and so the courage to have curiosity about everything around you um, and, you know, I ask curious questions and some people look at me like, you're an idiot. Why would you ask that question? But sometimes the conversations that come out of those curious questions, people go, wow, I've never looked at it that way before. Um, and, and so, you know, I, when people call me an idiot, I sometimes, sometimes I'm embarrassed. You know, no, no two ways about it. I'm, I'm not sure. infallible. But most of the time when people say I'm an idiot, I go, yeah, I know. Answer me. Play with me anyway. Tell me more about that. Um, so it's 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 a vulnerable place to go. Absolutely. Um, but, but that courage is invaluable in my mind. Definitely. Yeah, my wife taught me that a long time ago. Ask, you know, ooh, that's that's interesting. Tell me more, right? Yeah. Walk me. Yeah. How do? You, I mean, because some people come up with, like you said, some off the wall things. You don't yeah. want to just discount them. It's like, okay, yeah. it makes total sense to them. Help me understand. You know. And yeah, sometimes you're, you're amazed what they come up with. And uh, we've got a TV show here in Australia, uh, runs on the ABC, and it's a TV show, show called You Can't Ask That. So mm -hmm. they get people from different backgrounds, different disabilities, um, different areas of life, and then they list a whole heap of questions that people go, 
you can't ask that question. And I love that show because those are the questions that I enjoy asking. Um, and, uh, and as you were talking, it made me reflect on a conversation I had just yesterday. Uh, I was meeting with a, a new client and uh, there was a, a guy and a girl there and we started talking about the different culture in the organisation and we started talking about the LGBTQI and the girl said, oh, wow, I, I really have trouble saying that and I should be more aware of how to say that because I'm living in that environment. And it tweaked for me, okay, well, this lady is obviously living in this environment. She's a the LGBTQI, that's interesting. And, and, I, and I absolutely love talking to people in that environment, finding out, you know, what their life is like. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't, you know, this was a business meeting. So, you know, I just note that. Um, and then later in the conversation, she started talking about her husband and her children. And I've gone, hang on, there's an imbalance here. And most people would say, Derek, do not go there. Do not ask that question. Just let it go. Be um, more appropriate. But I've just gone, excuse me, do you mind if I ask? And, and we'd, we'd built up a good rapport. It wasn't just a out of the blue. We'd built up a good rapport. We knew each other reasonably well. We were very relaxed. And I said, do you mind if I ask you a question about this LGBTQI thing? Um, she said, yeah, yeah, sure. What, what did you want? I said, well, you mentioned that you live in that environment but I just heard you say you have a husband. And as soon as I said, oh, you've got a husband, she instantly came back and went, yeah, I'm by. And I'm going, oh, right, okay, well, that explains it. Yeah, thank you. And then we had this great conversation about how her parents took to her and, and all the, it opened up the door for her to be able to relax. But it came from being curious and being prepared to um, tastefully ask a curious question. Absolutely. But it could have gone... It could have been terribly, could have gone terribly wrong. Uh, but I'm also, come, we, we've built up enough rapport that I, even if it was something that she's gone, I'm not comfortable, we would be able to deal with that and recover from it and uh, go back to this relationship that we had. But, but it turned out to be great. It was absolutely fascinating. That conversation went on for about another 10 minutes. But that's the curiosity. Sure. That's asking the questions. And this is employee, employer type environment. Ask those questions appropriately with care, consideration um, that are going to find out more information that will help you deal with the situation. The more information we have, the more comfortable we're going to be able to go, actually, now I understand where you're coming from. Let's try something different. Exactly. Very yeah. cool. Um, in, um, I'm actually just going to expand on that just a little bit. Yeah. Um, Spoke about the continuum of durability. I've actually got a model for human durability as well. It's a process, uh, a, a circular process we go through to work out what your challenges are and where you want to go and how you handle them. Uh, but the golden circle around the outside of this model, uh, and it's the underlying uh, philosophy for human durability, it all starts with open, honest, confronting conversations. Because if we're not being open and honest, then there's an elephant in the room somewhere that everybody's going, oh, my gosh, what are they going to do about that? Nobody plans for it. And when that elephant actually steps up, it's going to squash you. It's going to destroy you. But if we talk about that elephant, I say there are two levels of comfort that come out of it. The first level of comfort is, oh, my gosh, that elephant is scary. I don't know whether we can handle it. Do we have the finance? Do we have the experts? Do we have the resources? Um, actually, let's talk about it. Yes, we do have the finance. We've got the resources. We've got the people. Actually, even if that elephant comes up and tries to squash us, we can handle it. We're now not going forward tentatively, worried about the elephant. We're going through confidently and courageously, yeah. right, because we've spoken about it. We've addressed exactly. it. The second level of comfort that we've got to be uh, cognizant that can come out of this is that actually, yeah, that is scary, and we've got the finances, we've got the resource. Actually, we don't have the technical skills, so let's comfortably step back and say, no, we're not going to do it. But instead of stepping back and saying, oh, I'm not sure, it just doesn't feel right, we're able to say, I'm stepping back because, and we articulate the reasons. And when we can articulate the reasons, people actually sit up and say, oh, I'm going to take notice of this person. And that's when you are a very powerful leader. When you can articulate your thinking to the people you're working with, they go, oh, and they grow a new level of respect. 
but it's open, honest, confronting conversations done with care, compassion, concern, and with a mutual interest in getting a positive outcome for everybody involved. Um, Nelson Mandela says that, oh, well, Nelson Mandela said, um, said um, that we can't prepare for the future while secretly pretending it's not going to happen. So we've got to have those confronting conversations about the reality. And I, I believe that's what I did prior to going into the shooting. If I get shot, what can I expect to be my sustainable, optimal performance? And, and that was one of the differences between uh, failure and success. Very cool. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that model. That's on your website, right? Yeah. Yep. Pick the image of that. Perfect. Um, let's talk about that. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about human durability and resilience, how can they get in touch with you? What's your What's your website? Uh, my website, DerekMcManus.com. Um, and I also have a uh, humandurability.com.au. Uh, but connect with me on LinkedIn, connect with me on Facebook, uh, just get the spelling of my name right and you will find me. There's not too many of me in the world, which is a nice thing. Um, but people don't have to connect with me for a commercial purpose. If they just have a question about, hey, listen, in my situation, what would work for me? I'm quite happy to have those conversations with people. Um, and and I, I really... One of the reasons I like having those conversations is the more I explore it, the more I learn. And I've still got a stack of things to learn about this. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Very good. Well, Derek, this has been amazing. I will have um, all those links in the show notes so people know how to find your website, um, how to get in touch with you. And uh, do you have any programs coming up or any speaking engagements coming up? Um, well, in actual fact, I'm coming to the US in uh, July. Um, I'm coming out there and I'm, uh, I'll be going from East Coast to West Coast, the, the whole gambit. Uh, I've got a lady who's uh, doing some promotion for me. Uh, she's on the East Coast. She's over in South Carolina. Uh, and I've got some connections already in um, California. I've, I've toured California before. So I'll be going back and revisiting all those clients. So if anybody would like to connect with me uh, in July, August, um, would love to hear from you. Um, and I've, uh, I'm just planning some dates for uh, some programs here in Australia. Um, so check the website, uh, check with me on LinkedIn and Facebook, uh, all those socials, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Um, the information will be there. Perfect. All right. Well, I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes for everybody so they can reach out and, and get in touch. And Derek, again, thank you so much for being on the program. It's been an absolute pleasure. And this conversation has been, again, insightful for me as well, just discussing it in different ways. So I really appreciate it. Your, your time as well. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely. And listeners, hope you guys were taking lots of notes, lots of good information here. Uh, check the show notes for all the uh, links to the websites um, and to the model that Derek was talking about. And I'll have a link directly to that. And uh, yeah, this is great. Share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now.